Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you're about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's web clinic. Uh, we've got uh, quite a bit of stuff to go over uh, with you today, and I think we're going to run right up against our time limit, so we'll just go ahead and dive right in. Uh, of course, I do want to, before we get started, we want to make sure and remind everyone that uh, we want you to be part of our conversation, and this is an interactive web clinic, so we encourage you to use the Q&A function of, uh, of the GoToWebinar software that you've got, or you can always join the conversation on Twitter by using hashtag WebClinic and converse with yourselves, converse with us. We're looking forward to hearing a lot from our audience today. So on today's clinic, we have four speakers. Myself, my name is Andy Mott. I'm the Senior Manager of Research Partnerships here at Marketing Experiments. I'm also joined by John Powell and Corey Trent from our research team. And it is the triumphant return of Bob Kemper, Director of Sciences, back to our web clinics. Bob, welcome back. And Corey and John, thanks very much for joining us today. So let's take a look at what we're planning to cover today. Uh, we're going to cover three very recent experiments that go into both the B2B and B2C world, so you can see what we've been up to in the last, uh, last few months. We're going to talk about the three most common blind spots of testing tools. Uh, and I guarantee there's going to be some stuff in here that maybe some people who are using testing tools every day haven't considered. So we're looking really forward to sharing that with you. We're going to talk about four problematic default technology settings that can invalidate your online tests. Some very interesting stuff in here. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to run a valid test. Uh, we're going to go through the five-point checklist. Uh, to help you get the most from your technology. So we have got lots of stuff to go through today. Uh, we're also going to talk about key strategic considerations for running multivariate tests. I think there's a lot of people out there that are running multivariate tests because it's relatively easy to do with the tools that are out there, but there are some major pitfalls that you can have from running multivariate tests, and we want to make sure that you're aware of them so that every test that you run is valid. So let's open with a poll. Uh, what is your biggest challenge to using your testing platform? We'll go ahead and activate this poll for you. Uh, so then you just pick one, two, three, or four, figuring out what to test, understanding the tools, validating results, or interpreting the income. So let's go ahead and uh, uh, go ahead and use the uh, GoToWebinar software to uh, put in your answer. We'll uh, wait for just a couple seconds to see what people are saying, uh, getting some good results in here. Uh, probably just give it... Uh, Maybe about five more seconds for people to click the options. So we've got 33% uh, of our audience saying figuring out what to test is a challenge. Hopefully you rely on the testing resources of marketing experiments uh, and everything that we've got for you free online to help you with that because we definitely do focus a lot of time in helping you figure out what to test. We've got in second place is number four, interpreting the outcome, 25%. We'll be, we'll be talking about that today, so you'll get to learn some new things. Uh, third place at 23%, validating results. And then in fourth place at 19%, understanding the tools. That's great. Let's go ahead and uh, move back into our content here with a case study. Or our first case study that we're going to talk about here is going to be uh, one that re our research analyst, John Powell, is here to uh, explain a little bit more about uh, for us. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to John and ask him to give us a little background and take us through the case study. 
Thanks, Andy. We recently performed an experiment with the B2C brokerage services group. Our goal was really straightforward, increase the number of online accounts. Our test was to understand which type of category information page would result in a higher number of these accounts using an ABCD multifactorial split test. Taking a look at the control, overall the majority of the page content is expressed through banners, other elements competing for attention, making it really difficult to piece together the message actually. The most valuable content is actually constrained in the rotating banners and that's, act that's something that you can't see on the slide. It rotates about between four different slides giving you some really valuable content there. But ultimately, the biggest problem about this page is that it relies on the visitor to decide what's mo most important, as there's no clear sequence of information leading to a call to action. And John, this looks, I mean, how many pages do you see every day that look just like this, where we want you to click on here or click over here or, or follow us on Twitter or do these other things? I mean, this is a common problem, wouldn't you say? This is a very common problem. Okay. So let's go ahead and take a look at our first treatment. In this first treatment, we wanted to understand what effect headline, body copy, and call to action had on our key performance indicator, which was the online account sign-up. And uh, if you take a look at the body copy, it's mostly restrained to the same area on the page as the control. Let's go ahead and take a look at the second treatment. Here we wanted to understand what the effect of a stronger communication of value had on our KPI. So take a look at the immediate differences. You've got a much longer copy uh, going into more detail. And then finally, you've got a, a small supporting column. Of the things that didn't change were the headline, the call to action, and the surrounding content. Finally, let's look at our third treatment. In this treatment, we really wanted to learn what effect a strong reduction of friction had on our KPI. So compared to the second treatment, the only change that you see here is an adjustment to the left column, which is a completely uh, redesigned navigation. All the links that were previously above the banner and below the main category links are all now listed out on the left side of the page. So now uh, I'm going to ask our audience to use the Q&A feature there in GoToWebinar and tell me which one you think is the winning treatment. Is it the control, treatment one, treatment two, or treatment three? So let's take a look here. Got a uh, couple opinions here for treatment two. Think treatment two is the winner. Also, I will mention that uh, we did do our Test Your Marketing Intuition quiz on our blog today and got uh, lots of uh, good responses there. So we'll be revealing the winner of that contest here in a few minutes. All right, we got some threes, got quite a bit of ones. I, I, I do think that probably uh, it's a tie between two and three here from our audience. So, uh, so keep that in mind. Remember what you voted, and let's take a look at, at, uh, at the results here. Oh, ouch. No significant variation between any of these treatments. So, uh, uh, John, why don't you dive into this a little bit more for us? You're right, Andy. Basically, the, within the time period we scheduled to run the test, there's no statistically significant difference in the results when you look at the aggregate data. Now, when I looked at this initially, I was kind of confused because if you take a look at the relative difference for some of these treatments, it looks like it could be enough to validate for that kind of difference. If you take a look at the screenshot on the right, that's actually what the confidence levels look like in the testing tool that we selected for this test. And if you can squint, you can see a 77%, which I believe is 
just above random. It's it's definitely not a confidence level you want to use. Yeah, some folks out there may recognize those five little bars telling us about confidence. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later too. So let me tell you what I did. One of the first things that I did was take a look at to excuse me, take a look at the data myself and see if I can find anything interesting. One of the first things that stood out to me was the data that you see below. One of our treatments was, for the most part, um, that would be the line in the red. <laughs> for the most part, it was the head of the control, the line in the blue, on a day-to-day -day basis. But if you take a look on the far right of the chart, all of a sudden something completely shifted. Uh, now, all of a sudden, the control is above the treatment. And seeing this shift, I decided that I would do some more investigation, and I discovered that it was that shift in performance that was keeping our treatments from validating originally. Uh, I talked to our research partner, and after presenting the data, asked if something had happened. And sure enough, if you take a look at your top right, there's the email. Uh, you can't really read it, but let me tell you, this email announced a brand new product, free, for all potential customers and customers. <laughs> and so um, they sent it out to everybody, including their dogs, whoever had an email address, they sent it out to. And guess what? In order to get that, you had to get an online account, our KPI. And guess what? In order to get to that place, you had to go through our page. Hmm. Interesting. So now we know in most organizations, of course, the entire marketing universe is all coordinated and nobody ever has things going on that are competing, right? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> right, so, so this right. is something that can happen uh, with, with regularity. We've, actually, we've seen something like this happen in a number of different types of experiments we've done. Right. Uh, I can remember doing one where there was, we ran it over Election Day, and they did an Election Day special that drove traffic way up. Uh, and which which uh, brought the difference between the two treatments down and and uh, uh, threatened the validity of our tests. So this is not a once in a lifetime thing. This is the kind of thing that you can see happen in your day to day life relatively frequently. Right. Okay. So once we figured out what the problem was, we decided to extract the data affected by the email send, and we'll hear the results. Good news. Treatment three recorded a 31% increase in conversions, and that was conclusive uh, and significant finding. All right, so for those of you who are on the edge of your seat wondering which treatment won, it was treatment three. And I would also like to congratulate our winner from the blog contest, which, and I'll apologize in advance, Terry, for mispronouncing your name, but I've got Terry Rydzinski uh, from across the pond. And you are going to be the winner of uh, a uh, certification course, online certification course, at a $595 value for marketing experiments. And you'll also get worldwide Twitter renown by having your Twitter handle uh, posted by uh, our Twitter account, which is at uh, MKTG Experiments. All right. So, John, what, what's the key thing we can learn from this? It's really simple. If you rely solely on your testing technology, you risk getting incorrect results. Straightforward. That's very simple and very very easy to understand. You know, I think I think any of us who've used testing tools before have seen a tool say something like one conversion on treatment one, zero conversions on control. It's 99.99% confident that treatment one is the winner, right? Yeah. It's the it's the kind of thing that that all of us who do any kind of uh, uh, test will see. So I'd like to move forward into. Uh, the metaphor that is going to resonate through the rest of our clinic, which is that I think that we are looking to technology solutions maybe a little bit too much 
to solve our, our business problems and our marketing problem. But the issue with this is, very simply, technology alone doesn't test. We've got these sophisticated tools. We've got great new ways to look at data, and we can collect all this information that we want to see about our tests. And when we get too deep in this data and too deep in our tools, and we trust them a little too much, what we may not realize is that we're releasing control of business decisions and putting them in the hands of technology when they belong in the hands of business leaders. So if you're trusting your, your testing tool to tell you when you should start your test, when you should stop, to t stop your test, or even your multivariate testing tool to tell you which combination is definitely the winner, you are losing that business control that business leaders should have about this. The technology is not the tester. You are the tester using the technology as a tool. So that is a, a great segue into uh, the section where we're going to discuss three main blind spots of our, of our testing technology. And the first one, with our friend the Tin Man, is going to say, if I only had a heart. Now, as we mentioned before, if we're relying on this testing technology to tell us what's best, we are simply losing that human element that should be involved in every single test that you run. So we're calling these kinds of designs that are recommended or self-optimized or automatically optimized with our testing tools, we're calling those hollow designs. And so we're going to take a look at another uh, quick case study here. Actually, it happened to be another one that uh, John Powell worked on. So John, why don't you run us through the background for this experiment real quick? Sure. We recently performed an experiment with a B2C, uh, excuse me, B2C service provider. And they actually have a very significant online and offline presence. Our main goal was this, to increase the number of retail service appointments scheduled through their website. So we designed the test to understand which particular page design would result in this higher number of service appointments scheduled using an AB uh, multifactorial split test. The control at this given point was actually a winning page based on multiple multivariate style design tests, wherein page layout, copy, pictures, calls to action, um, any kind of element that you can uh, individualize, it was tested. Uh, the partner did not uh, tell us in detail if they used a specific automated tool to do this, but we did know that they had dozens of combinations, and the one you're seeing in the bottom right just happened to be the combination that won. So I bet you this is the kind of thing that anyone who's run a multivariate test before, anybody out there in our audience, uh, has done something like this in the past. Here's all the blocks. Here's all the variables. Let's put them out there and, let, and let's see which one wins. This is, this is something I know that we've seen a lot of people talk to us about with previous multivariate testing experience. So probably something that resonates with the, with the audience a lot. Right. So let's take a look at our treatment. As you can see, we broke this multivariate mold and presented a page based on our optimization methodology. What we wanted to do was present a single unified message and call to action with supporting content available outside the primary iPath. Well, here's the effect. 357% more of those online uh, scheduled appointments. Now, that, that's a pretty major difference. So let, let me recap a little bit to make sure that, uh, that the message gets across here. A, a company had a multivariate testing tool, was using it, was moving all these variables around, moving all these things around, and so they thought they were doing what they needed to do to get the best result. 
And what they, what we learned is when we came in and applied the marketing experiments conversion methodology is that they weren't even playing in the right category of thought. So we broke that mold, tried something totally different, and were able to get 357% increase in conversion. That's, that's very remarkable. I would say the analogy that I can use here for, for multivariate testing is, is like taking all of your time uh, in the batting cage. And you're in the batting cage and you're tweaking your swing so that everything is just right. Spend hours upon hours in the batting cage only to find out you've been playing hockey the whole time. So no matter how bad, how much you tweak that swing, it's never going to be the right hockey stroke. Uh, and that's the, exactly what happened here. You can tweak and tweak and tweak, but if you haven't done the right uh, radical redesign test, you don't even know if you're playing in the right ballpark. And that's the major takeaway uh, from this result. John, thank you very much. Um, also, uh, I'd like to ask uh, uh, Corey if you'd like to weigh in a little bit on this. I'd be interested to hear what you had to say. Yeah, one thing I was going to mention, uh, and John's case brought it up a lot, is I, th I feel that sometimes multivariate causes a situation where people do not, like you talked about, they don't test the right radical train of thought. Multivariate allows you to test many different aspects on a page. So what I typically find uh, with working with partners is they get caught up with this one design and let me try everything under the sun, but just making small tweaks here or there. And they kind of get distracted with the bigger picture of how can I make this page work better for my customer. It's more where how can I make gadgets work or let me test all these buttons. And they don't take the step back and always test you know, am I even playing the right game? Am I really reaching out to my customers correctly instead of getting caught up and using the tool and the n nice features that it has and getting caught up on what's the current thing on Mashable that I could put on my site or <laughs> things like that. Um, and just making sure that when you're using these tools that you're stepping back and looking at, you know, am I really reaching out and communicating to my users effectively instead of just testing piecemeal items here and there um, and always just doing that double check. So. Thanks, Corey. That, that's a great observation. It is, it is generally true uh, to say that uh, as in marketing experiments, we almost always begin with radical redesign tests with very different look and feel uh, against the, the original control so that we can understand what category of thought and what type of messaging we should be delivering to our customers and then use things like multivariate tools to refine and get uh, additional incremental gains. So... Uh, what I'm showing here in this slide is that there are three approaches that we've seen to conducting uh, experiments. And now certainly running any kind of test is, is better than not doing any testing at all because theoretically you're at least learning something. Uh, we've, uh, we talked a lot about this in the business case for testing uh, web clinic a few weeks ago too. Uh, but there is an okay way, there's a better way, and there's a best way to approach it. The okay way is this self-optimizing campaign, these hollow designs that are relying on technology to pick the best combination of button color and headline words and bullet placement. Uh, now, if you're doing some research and you're going out to marketing conventions or you're uh, listening to people tell you what best practices are and every page has got to have a hero shot and every page has to have this and that and the other thing, you know, that's okay. You're, you're trying to learn something new. You're trying to approach it. But the very best way is to approach this using a tried and true methodology, uh, which we have, if any of you have been to Marketing Experiments Web Clinics in the past, it's what we are, are out here talking about all the time. Use the conversion heuristic, approach it from a scientific way, know that you're going to get real tangible results from, your, uh, from tests that you designed that have an outcome in mind. So 
That being said, uh, in regard to hollow designs and multivariate testing, I'm going to invite Bob uh, to make a couple of comments here with us as well. And we've got some uh, key points here we want to make about multivariate testing. Uh, the first thing is we want to avoid trusting the tool alone. Um, which is something that we've already talked about, but I'd like to, Bob, what, what, what are your thoughts on this subject? Sure, Andy. Um, the main message here is that, uh, that you, you must not substitute uh, testing software for, for testing strategy. You can't trust uh, the, the tool uh, to do all the work for you, um, as, as you said. Um, you know, what you need is a disciplined approach you know, based, based on a sound methodology. Um, the um, you know one you'll see there is the uh, conversion index, which uh, those of you who have uh, been with us for uh, any length of time will will recognize. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's something certainly our our audience hopefully is something that we have drilled into your heads by now. You know, it, it's only made count literally countless millions of dollars in the time since it's been invented uh, for uh, for a testing methodology. So absolutely apply it. We do every single time we run a test. And having uh, a disciplined approach, having um, you know, a way of looking at um, how uh, conversion occurs, how the offer response uh, process occurs, enables you to make uh, informed hypotheses um, about um, things like you know, um, the factors, you know, the variables, the factors um, that you should be looking at, um, what, uh, what the levels are for, um, uh, for a multivariable test, that is, uh, the treatments and how they should be designed. Thanks, Bob, very much. We've got some uh, interesting questions coming in here uh, via Twitter. Uh, we've got, I think it is uh, 2-Bit, the HR guy, uh, asking, can we do testing that compares design performance against classes of individual differences, i.e. cognitive styles? And the, I'm going to restate the question in a different way to make sure I understand it, which is, can you test different categories of messaging to try and see which category connects with different people. Uh, so the way I would say this is, we're actually running a test right now with one of our with one of our partners that we're not ready to share results uh, on yet, but but will soon. That tests an emotional appeal versus uh, an easy way to help versus uh, another a different category of thought. And the purpose behind that test, the look and feel is actually pretty similar among all, all three tests because what we're not testing is things like button placement or headline placement or anything. What we're testing is, is the category of messaging right for our, for our customers? And what we're also measuring in this is the channel that they come from and the channel they choose to interact with us with. So that if we find that one channel prefers one style of messaging and performs better, and another channel prefers a different style of messaging and performs better there, then we'll learn not only what works best, but we have the ability to deliver a targeted experience based on the channel. So, so that is a, an excellent question, uh, and uh, hopefully that is, that's the answer. Please uh, tweet us and let us know if that answered your question. So let's go ahead and talk about the second blind, technology blind spot that we see here, which is if I only had the nerve. Now what this means is if I only had the nerve to challenge the results that I'm seeing from my tool. So technology, you know, we, we showed in, during John's case study those four bars or the five bars that said this one is only has two bars and this one has five. And that's pretty compelling. That's a, a, a tool that's been built by experts telling us when this is done. So how can we as marketers who don't have statistics degrees, maybe don't have the luxury of doing this day in and day out like we do here at Marketing Experiments, 
How can we trust that, that uh, either the tool is right or know when to challenge that the tool is, uh, is maybe making a mistake or maybe leading us in the wrong direction? So uh, let's think back to that, uh, that case study that John shared with us earlier. So sometimes we see this, just, just like we said. How can we make sure that the tests we're running are actually valid? Well, we've got a quote here from a very smart guy by the name of Bob Kemper, who we've got here on, the, uh, uh, on, on our web clinic, who was just speaking a moment ago. A test is considered valid when a sound experiment design has been properly executed and the test results indicate that its research question has been conclusively answered with at least a stated minimum level of statistical confidence. And we've got these four bolded words here because we're going to break this down a little further and talk about each one of these areas a little bit more specifically. So let me invite Bob back, uh, uh, back up to the podium here and tell us a little bit more about a sound experiment design. Sure, Andy, thanks. Um, a sound experiment design is, is really one that, uh, that mimics the larger system it's intended to make inferences about um, closely enough that if it's followed uh, as it's designed, uh, the results, as they relate to the primary research question, uh, accurately predict the outcome uh, to the larger system uh, you know, when subjected to the conditions that the experiment is, uh, was designed to test. So, um, you know, every well-designed test starts with, uh, with a primary research question um, you know, that we'll talk a little bit more about in just a minute. Um, a sound experiment design is one that answers that question as directly and, and thoroughly as possible. Um, you know, the uh, sound uh, design is cognizant um, of the assumptions and limitations about the environment, uh, you know, that uh, it's intended to uh, answer the question about, um, and uh, that's valid. For instance, um, if weekday performance is different from weekends, um, you know, then the test design should be aware of that and, um, and state which, whether it's weekday or weekend, uh, that the test result will, uh, will apply to. Um, and in that context, um, it'll ensure that when the test is done, the outcome predicts accurately how the system's going to act when you pick uh, which of the, uh, the treatments is the winner. Thanks, Bob, for that explanation. Uh, I would like to maybe just add a little bit of, of interpretation here and see if this helps illustrate the point. So another way to say this would be testing is like a fishbowl. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to make this fishbowl that you've got as much like the lake or the ocean that the fish that the other fish live in all the time. Is that is that accurate? Exactly. Okay. So you want to make sure that your test environment accurately uh, imitates the environment where where this will live all the time. Okay. I think that makes sense. Uh, let's move on to the next point, which is having a solid research question. Bob, uh, give us a little bit more insight into this. Yes, um, every sound inferential experiment starts with a primary research question. And all the elements of the design from, from the variables uh, that you choose or the factors uh, chosen um, you know, among the treatments to, to the procedures and the tools used for measuring the outcomes are uh, specifically designed around answering uh, that primary research question. Okay, so uh, in other words, going back to my fishbowl example, one, a good example of a question here is which fish food will result in the greatest level of growth? Is, is that an example of a good research question? Sure, sure. Uh, you might even phrase it a little more specifically, uh, like, uh, like which will cause the greatest or the most rapid gain in body mass or, 
uh, or maybe it's length, um, but, but that's exactly it. Okay, so making sure that you, that you set out with a question that you're trying to answer before you start is, is key. So I, I think that in, in the marketing world, what we have a tendency to do is we come up with some test designs or our designers come up with some different things they want to test and we put them out there and we measure everything and then afterwards we try and decide, well, this one has higher bounce rate, but this one has higher conversion and this one has higher click-through. Which, which, one which one's most important? Uh, and that, that's the problem that we get into if we don't have a research question. Right? Is that right, Bob? Absolutely. Okay, great. All right, let's move into the, to the third topic here, which is tests being properly executed. What, what are your insights here, Bob? Well, um, proper execution of experiment design refers to, to the diligent confirmation um, of all the design conditions, uh, the faithful execution of, of all the steps uh, that are prescribed by the t test design uh, in exactly the order that they were prescribed uh, and the accurate recording, uh, analysis, and interpretation of, of the outcomes. Okay. So I'm going to use the fishbowl example because it's so awesome. Uh, so in, in this particular uh, image we've got here, there's a couple pieces of fish food that are, that are falling outside of the bowl. What's, uh, what's to be learned from this? Yeah, uh, that would be an example of, uh, of not uh, thoroughly conducting uh, a step. You know, if you're going to bother setting up uh, um, this big test and, uh, and you're utilizing uh, the sophisticated and expensive testing tools, uh, you know, that you've got it, you know, be ashamed to, to botch it all up by being careless, you know, about the way that you set up uh, or execute the testing uh, procedure. I think this is a, a great opportunity to roll out one of my old favorite quotes that comes uh, from uh, when I was in, uh, when I worked in engineering long before I was in online marketing, which was, we measure with a micrometer, but we mark with a grease pencil and cut with a chainsaw. Uh, which, which I think is uh, a lot of the problems that we have here. We have very sophisticated analytics tools. We can get any piece of information uh, that we want to get about the performance of our sites, but we, don't, we just don't know which, which thing to choose, which, which to do. We don't know if we've measured the right things. So uh, this is actually a little combination of research question and testing properly executed, but everything has to come together and, and make sure it makes sense from the very start in order for us to get a good sound test result. Is that right? Yep, exactly. Okay. And, and also you need to ensure that, uh, you know, once again, the, the test data is, uh, uh, is captured and stored accurately and, and completely. Um, so, uh, you know, once you've got all uh, the information, you've, you've done the testing, you need to ensure that the, uh, that the results are, um, are stored. Great. You know, we've got a lot of, uh, we're going through a lot of information here. Uh, audience, I encourage you to use the Q&A feature of, uh, of GoToWebinar. So uh, I do think we're going to have some opportunity to do some uh, Q&A at, at some point here. So please, if you have any questions, uh, don't be shy and, and ask them. So I don't know about you, but I am just absolutely riveted by learning more about statistical confidence. So Bob, can you please give us a little bit more information about what you mean in statistical confidence? Well, sure, Andy. That's, it's such an exciting topic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at, at the beginning of any test, uh, we should decide up front how sure we need to be uh, before we're willing to call out uh, a winner. Um, you know, of course, the surer the better. But you know, in real life, we're faced with uh, you know with finite traffic to the site or um, email list size or whatever, and um, and less than infinite time. So an important part of the test design is uh, to project, based on the traffic, uh, historical levels of performance, uh, and other factors, how long the test is, um, is expected to run, um, you know, based on some, um, some target 
um, you know, amount of uh, performance gain. Um, you know, then it's kind of a negotiation or, or a uh, balancing act, a balancing game on uh, how sure I think I need to be versus how long I'm willing to wait uh, to call it conclusive. Right. I think that's something that, that can be totally lost on this. But let's, uh, I want to stick with the analogy because it's been working so good with us so far, for us so far. So if I'm going to, re- I need to make sure that I'm repeating this outcome enough times so that I can confidently say that this will continue to happen even if I let go of this experimental environment and put it out into the wild. Is that true? Yes, that's exactly it. Okay. I want to make sure it's predictive of the, once again, we call it the, the larger system, um, you know, which it's um, intended to, to model. Great. Yeah, I think, uh, I think one important thing to, to pull out of this is that you know, we know as, uh, as marketers that if our test tells us it's 99.99% confident because we have one conversion on A and zero conversions on B, that we know that doesn't make sense. But what if we have 417 on A and 394 on B, and it says it's 94.6% confident? Do we know that that's enough? Do we know that it's sufficient? You know, that, that's a good question, and that takes... Uh, you know, take some thinking about, take some, have, take some having a little bit of an understanding of what the tool is trying to tell you when it's giving you that, uh, uh, that confidence level. And it is good every once in a while to brush off that old business statistics textbook that's uh, hidden in your attic or, or wherever it might be and maybe take a glance at it from time to time to, to help understand uh, what these tests are telling you so that you can answer real-world questions that you have. Also, uh, I think it's very important, uh, one uh, very important point that Bob made was that we are human beings, we are business people, and these types of decisions as what sure enough means belong in our hands, not in the hands of the tool. Because there may be times when we have 80% or 85% confidence level where that really is good enough for us uh, based on the amount of time it's been, it's been running, we need to make other changes, we need to move on, uh, and you can you know, continue to measure uh, what's happening after the test is concluded once you're sending all your traffic to this uh, to the, to the winning treatment and make sure that, uh, that everything is still functioning the way that you, that you can. It's up to a business person to assess the level of risk of terminating a test when it's below 95% confidence. It's not up to the tool. Would you agree, Bob? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if, um, if you were an academic researcher and you had uh, received your grant based upon a, uh, a 95% level of confidence, you wouldn't have the option uh, to stop uh, before then or to uh, to reach any conclusions before then. But uh, as uh, business people, uh, as you said, um, you know, that's why it's important up front to decide how confident we need to be so that it's not just, um, uh, you know, it's not just an open ballgame and, you, and you've got a committee of people trying to decide, right. you know, is 83% good enough or not. Mm-hmm. But given that, um, you know, as a business person and, uh, you know, and you're at 83% or 85% level of confidence um, and, um, you know, and it's looking like it may take, uh, you know, some time and you're ready to move forward. Right. It is, um, you know, it is your prerogative. Yep. It, uh, it's your bullet to bite. Right? Yep. It's your and decision to make. Comes with that. <laughs> and accept the risk that comes with it. That's yeah. great. Bob, thanks very much. Uh, that, was, that was very insightful. Um, I've got a couple uh, uh, pieces, uh, Q&A here from the audience that I want to uh, ask real quick. Um, so one thing that goes back to something we said earlier is uh, uh, Bethany wants to know if, uh, if she's unfamiliar with the, uh, the C equals 4M plus 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. 
conversion uh, sequence, where can you get more information? And the answer is marketingexperiments.com. 100% free, huge research library there, give you all the information that you want to know. Search for conversion sequence or anything related to that, and you'll get all kinds of great information about, uh, about that. Uh, we also offer an eight-hour certification course that, to, that talks about nothing but how to apply that particular heuristic, which you can find at marketingexperiments.com slash training. Uh, another question here from Kevin is, uh, what are some good testing platforms? And uh, I, will, um, I will say this to you, that I am not going to steal the thunder of an upcoming blog post we have on this very topic. So uh, we will definitely be tweeting that uh, uh, in using hashtag WebClinic if you, can, if you want to find that on Twitter uh, when it's available. But if you, if you follow the Marketing Experiments blog, you'll be seeing uh, some information about testing platforms uh, on there uh, very soon. Uh, one more question uh, from our friend uh, 2Bit, who uh, sent something in via Twitter. Uh, thanks again. Is what about nested experiments? Uh, can you perform nested experiments? Is it a good idea? Um, I think that, generally speaking, uh, it's better to have one experiment from you know one measurable source of traffic or from you know channels that you can definitely differentiate and then come to a conclusion and move forward in an iterative process. Uh, but maybe if you had sufficient traffic, nested experiments would be okay. Bob, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, let me, let me be clear on what we mean by, by nested uh, experiments. Uh, um, if, I, if I understand um, correctly, um, what we're talking about is uh, conducting um, an experiment, and then based upon the outcome of that experiment, we might drill down into better understanding um, the, the the nature of of the cause of what um, you know what, of the outcome of the first test mm -hmm. and in you know if that's what we mean by by nested test then absolutely and um, you know that is uh, the very nature of um, you know of doing optimization testing we may begin with a radical redesign just to see um, as you pointed out before we might want to know what kind of appeal whether an emotional appeal or whether a, um, right. A, a practical appeal um, is the best sort of general category. And then um, once we have identified that, we'll want to drill down and say, um, all right, uh, the, um, you know, the practical appeal for this audience with you know, our ideal customers with, uh, with their motivations, um, you know, this is the best type. Now, how do we optimize the expression of the value proposition? Mm -hmm. it's, it's all the, you know, the C equals uh, 4M 3, 3V. Right. Now, now we, uh, um, we concentrate on each of the uh, conversion index uh, um, heuristic elements in, in drilling down, or perhaps uh, that's what we mean by nesting, uh, you know, drilling down to each of those elements and optimizing them. When, uh, when we're finished with, uh, with that process and we've reached diminishing returns, then, uh, then we should be done. Great. Thanks, Bob, very much. And uh, please continue to send in questions. It's, uh, it's great to have these. I've got a couple more questions. I'm going to jump back into our presentation here real quick, and then uh, we will uh, uh, bring up some more questions a little bit later. So the question that we want to ask here, how does all of this that we've been talking about, running good tests and running valid tests, connect to the testing tools that we're all, that we're all using every day? Uh, I'd like to bring in uh, analytics expert extraordinaire, Corey Trent, from our research team, to talk a little bit more about this and shed some light on this subject. 
Okay, thanks, Andy. Uh, really what I wanted to accomplish uh, in my section that we're going to be going over is uh, I'm one of the ones here in marketing experience that is in the trenches every day. So a lot of the frustrations that you guys have as marketers and testers, I share as well in working with different environments and coming up with tests and how do we accurately measure those. So I wanted to give you guys some actionable items on what are some of the settings that I run into quite frequently that can really skew your data and then also, you know, what are some checklists? What is a, a list of items that commonly cause a lot of problems for us that we can at least print out and tack to our cubicles to get yellow because we use them so much. And again, giving you some actionable items. So let's go over some of the problematic uh, default settings. Uh, so the first one being is how are they calculating the base metrics? Um, a lot of tools out there will have different ways that they uh, measure with not only within their own tools but against one another as well. So a great example is we use one testing platform here internally that will actually calculate conversion rate best based on visits um, or unique views and depending on that measure that you're using it can actually uh, greatly affect the conversion rate that it's that it's uh, reporting and especially if you're pulling daily stats not for forgetting to select the right conversion uh, metrics and how that's being calculated can cause again your data to be unreliable or give you false flags we have some interesting data here today what happened well nothing really happened it just so happens you were sleeping at the wheel and you didn't select the right option so <laughs> make sure that you're using apples to apples throughout the whole test and and what you're comparing because a lot of, sometimes human error can cause the, the data problems that we see sometimes. Um, and also, as I touched on the beginning, sometimes how uh, tools calculate successes, conversions, differ between one another. So if you're running multiple platforms, which we'll go into a little bit later, understand what terminology means between platforms of platforms. Are, again, is this sort of apples to apples, or are we looking at something differently? And that can explain the delta between these two. So we're not pulling out our hair, waking up with a cold sweat at night. So let's move on to the second one. Um, understanding validity confidence uh, levels. I won't spend too much time on this. We've kind of covered this. But uh, if a tool, if you're relying on a tool to tell you, okay, stop or go, um, or we've tested enough, understanding how it arrives at that question. Sometimes that's not published and you might need to reach out to your account manager or support or whatever it might be, but understand the measure between the tools. Again, if you're using multiple, you might see that some are saying, we're good to go, this one's better, and others aren't. Maybe it's that they calculate validity or um, that flag of conclusiveness a little bit differently. So understand that. Again, not belabor the point. So let's move on to three. Um, this is a big one that I run into many, many times, and actually John covered this as well uh, in his case today and gave an excellent example. In aggregate results versus day-to-day, -day, uh, many, many of the tools work with a dashboard kind of opening when you log in. Here's where your test sits. Here's the confidence level. Uh, maybe some fancy graphs and, you know, some stats. Um, but that can really hide the Easter egg, so to say, out of your data or some interesting results. It can also cause you to make some false assumptions based on some fluctuations or instances that have happened out of your tests. So make sure that you're running it. You're also at least spot checking uh, every couple of days. What, what is the daily um, aspect doing as well. Some tools, some of the more free 
or lower-end tools make this a little bit more difficult. But I would challenge you guys that you need to look at the daily stats as well to understand, is there something that's going askew here that's really tweaking our stats? Again, like in John's case, it looked like we had enough to go on. But again, re relying on the dashboard or the aggregate results really was hiding what was lurking below. Um, and we'll also go in another example a little bit later on. And the fourth and final problematic setting that or a feature that we see is, uh, is also quite a big one, is assuming that our data that we're getting is uniform. It's a uniform sample distribution. So I'm going to try to break this down uh, a little bit lower, like we had done with our fishbowl example. But many of our tools assume that the data that we're receiving every day is, is staying within normal fluctuations. It doesn't, some, some of them in their calculations do not take in consideration where we might have inflection points uh, multiple times where uh, treatment might swap being the highest performer or the control over and over again um, and how that can really affect our data as you saw with John's example uh, with the brokerage can really affect the conclusions that we need to draw. Um, so in the next slide some of the uh, threats that you need to be aware of that can affect your validity um, and again go back to that normalized sample distribution is some things like instrumentation effects. Perhaps an update that you made to the page actually broke your tracking or your testing tool and now it's not collecting right which can affect your stats. Um, you might see like the history effect your test has run uh, quite long so outside uh, forces have now come in and affected the test like maybe you got featured on the news or something like that. Now people are aware of your brand and maybe are more willing to put up with things. So the control and treatment start performing more uh, similar to one another because, again, you're well known. So those are some threats to your validity and can cause, again, that assumption of that normalized data um, to really cause some problems with your confidence. Uh, the next item on the checklist, number two, is are you also comparing uh, multiple data sets? Um, I like running multiple metrics programs, but I will say this, I see this as a frustration point for a lot of marketers because they get caught up in the one-to-one -one ratio game. I'm running Google Analytics and I'm running Site Catalyst. They never match up. I'm so frustrated. I'm yelling at my IT uh, director, fix this. They're, they never match up. Well, to be honest, they all collect slightly different. They're never going to match up one-to-one. -one. What you need to be looking for is trends. If we see within our testing tool that it's, you know, we're seeing some gains, maybe it's 20% or whatnot, do we see a relative similar delta being communicated with some other tools? Other tools collect differently, so that can maybe uh, take out some of the effects that uh, you might have broken in uh, what you've updated with the page or something like that. So again, comparing multiple data sets can really help you out and identify some problems. Uh, number three, uh, have you also double-checked the transactional data? Your testing tool is reporting that you have a 30% gain. Are you actually seeing that reflected on your back end? Are you actually check, checking your sales uh, and things of that nature? A lot of people lose out or do not do this, and that can also cause problems with you and make you maybe not look so good when you present with your marketing manager. Look at these flashy new results I got with my treatment. He goes and talks to sales, and they give him a furrowed eyebrow and say, what are you talking about? That sales have been the same. Uh, so make sure that you're also double checking your transactional data to see if those gains are actually being reported there. Uh, that can save you a lot of heartache and maybe some embarrassment later on. <laughs> uh, moving on to number four, we're kind of short on time, so I'm going to breeze through this. Uh, very, very important. If you 
make sure you're taking the time to segment who is coming to your test. Uh, because as you can see here, here's a screenshot from Google Analytics. We've broken up some of the traffic into specific uh, channels. You can see that uh, during this test that one started performing drastically lower than everything else. So does that can cause a huge issue with our data and, and again, affecting those rates. So making sure that you're nailing down not in an aggregate view, but on the channels to make sure that there's not something else that is affecting your data. Uh, I assure you, taking the time to do this, I know it's time consuming and we're all short on time, but uh, it can really give you a lot to go on and help you understand what's going on with your test. And this can be a simple matter of setting up your testing tool properly exactly. in the beginning to make mm -hmm. sure it's collecting this kind of data mm -hmm. so you don't have to go back and try and segment it out. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan of, uh, there's this guy I follow, Avinash, who says, Always invest 10% on your tools and 90% on the people. I mean, tools are there to help you, but make sure that you have the human thought behind it to collect that information and be able to make right conclusions. So, Great. Uh, last point that we have, is the technology actually working properly? A lot of times we assume that. Um, <laughs> because of new treatments that we've introduced or things that might have changed, is that actually affecting what's going on with the test? Are our tracking scripts launching correctly? If we have multiple touch points, is it working at every step? Again, these seem like kind of QA issues, but most of our websites are dynamic in nature, and they are changing while we're doing testing. So if we do see a change in the data, perhaps it was something that was affected on the technology side that is different than setup that's causing these issues. Did we see a server performance degrade while we were running the test, and did that affect the treatment more? Really briefly, I was running a test with a partner recently, and the, the uh, results were kind of, uh, we saw for multiple days, again, that the treatment was doing quite well. Then we saw the infamous diamonds in the data where the control uh, started performing greatly and just a lot of variation in the data. Not uh, the girl's best friend kind of diamonds, Not right? the girl's best friend, uh, right. Um, <laughs> It's the one you don't invite to the party. Um, and so what we uh, actually found out is during those times, they had load balancing set up, this website, and it went down. And in those times doing some testing, we found that the treatment was much, much more adversely affected when that performance went down than the control. Um, so there can be, again, technology aspects that can greatly influence uh, your data that might not necessarily be a page or a process's fault. Um, so I hope that helps you guys with some actionable items, and I'm going to turn that back over to Andy. Great. Corey, thanks very much. I think that's, that's really actionable. So uh, uh, how many people out there using your Q&A feature are, are too scared to run a test now, now that we've told you all this stuff? Uh, well, hang on, uh, hang on with us for 10 more minutes because we've got, uh, got some more stuff to tell you, and we certainly want to uh, encourage you to know all you can about your tests and not, uh, not frighten you about the tools or about all the things that can go wrong. So the third technology blind spot that we want to talk about is very simply, if I only had a brain, interpretation. So tools don't tell you why. That, and that is a simple fact, and I'm not sure if they ever will. Uh, but uh, you cannot look at test results and just look at the numbers in a tool and have that tell you why one is better than the other. So, ha so not being able to get an interpretation from the tool, I get asked this all the time. If you run A versus B, how do you ever know anything other than B beat A or A beat B? And the answer is back to what Bob was saying earlier. If you started out with a research question and you knew how you're going to measure the results afterwards, you're going to get something that's really valuable. And there's a way that you can apply this. 
Uh, this is a, a heuristic that, uh, that you don't see very often from marking experiments. Uh, this is a heuristic we teach in Fundamentals of Online Testing, uh, which is the testing utility heuristic. And, and this I here uh, is interpretation, being a key part of the testing utility. So the questions you're asking yourself is, why did this test give this results? Uh, now that we know these results, how does this contribute to our total understanding of what our customers want? And how does this help us execute a good cycle of optimization and testing? What are we learning that's transferable? Um, what are the implications for other areas of our website? So what can we learn here that we can apply somewhere else and maybe get these gains a little faster without having to go through the entire iterative test cycle? And then what do these results suggest what we should test next? Uh, testing isn't an event, it's a process. Uh, and it's something that you will continually do for as long as you have a website. And each test result you get, hopefully, should spur some ideas on what you should test next. So really quickly, I want to touch on a, a quick case study. This is one, again, that we talked about during a business case for testing, so I won't go too deep into it. I will just say this. Start with the control. We ran a test, got a 201% gain. So these were, we interpreted the results, why we got the gain, and we, we built another test. That test only gave us a, a little bit of a 2% gain, a, very, uh, a relatively inconclusive test. Uh, but then that enabled us to know what matters and what doesn't, so it uh, helped us run another test, which gave us yet another 29% gain. So once we were done with, with this test, we had learned some things and we felt comfortable that we would be able to take this to other areas of the site and see what the results could be. And the results were pretty amazing, anywhere from 28% to 603%. Now, these other... Uh, legs on this uh, on this tree here did not have a uh, were not tests. We just took what we learned and applied uh, uh, from our original PPC ad group that we were testing into other uh, PPC ad groups and got some really remarkable results. A tool is not going to do this for you. You have to have the human element able to understand interpretations and make the the personal and business decision when it's okay to take what we've learned and apply it to other areas of our site and try to replicate. Uh, the successes that we've had with our testing. Okay, uh, I'm going to, I've got a, a couple other good questions here. I, I do think I'm only going to be able to, to get to maybe one or two of them. But one uh, that comes here from Twitter is, are, are there any suggestions for getting more buy-in from creatives? And so I will make the assumption that means the creative types, the creative people. And I will, I will say this, that in most of our businesses, and I would, I would make, I think, a relatively safe assumption that for anybody who is listening to this web clinic, you're not in the kind of business where pretty looking pays the bills. And what we have found is exposing uh, some designers and people who have this creative skill set uh, to this methodology, to testing, to seeing what's possible, that what you do is you create the desire in them to design the winning treatment. Not the, not the one that's, that's maybe going to win a Clio, but the one that's going to give you the very best results from your testing, uh, from, from what you're doing. So it's going to be uh, something that you, that you look at your design team as a partner in this process, and you help them understand that there's a business objective we're trying to accomplish here, and that's getting measurable, tangible results that we can verify through valid testing. So that, that is my advice there. Okay, I do have some, uh, some final thoughts here that I'd, I'd like, to, like to share to kind of wrap everything up. Number one, uh, where, how could we possibly have a Wizard of Oz-themed clinic without saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain? Uh, I think we have uh, come out very, very strongly today and said that technology uh, does not solve the problems. 
Technology, I'm not suggesting at all that technology is the problem. Technology and the ability that we have to run these tests are, are, are a wonderful tool. Where would we be if we, if we didn't have the ability to, to run these tests? But they only will work effectively with human insight. And also, follow the yellow brick road. Technology is that yellow brick road. But in order to get all the way to the real Emerald City of marketing ROI, you've got to know how to follow it. You just can't step out and follow it blindly. Uh, all of our, our panelists today have been with us. John Powell, Bob Kemper, Corey Trent have given us some outstanding insights today into understanding how to follow that road. road. Your tool is, is a partner in this process. And it's going to be something that you're going to need to rely on to get the data to execute the tests, but you just have to understand its limitations, know how to extract valuable data out of it, and be able to design solid experiments that are going to answer a question. We'll, we'll, we'll steal from Covey again. You need to begin your tests with the end in mind. You have an outcome that you want to, that you want to achieve, and you're going to leverage the power of the tool and the power of your own ability to make sound business decisions as a marketing leader or a business leader in your organization, and that's what's going to get you to true, real marketing ROI. So speaking of ROI, uh, just got back from our ROI tour in San Francisco. I was fortunate enough to meet uh, a number of, of you out there. Uh, it's always great to get out and meet, uh, meet people in person. We encourage you to come out and meet the Marketing Experiments team. Uh, we're going to be in Boston on June 9th. Uh, and then up for the very first time ever uh, doing one of these uh, types of events in Canada. So uh, all of our, our friends in Canada, uh, we're, we're coming. So get ready. We're going to invade Canada next. Uh, we're looking forward to being in Boston on June 9th and Toronto on June 10th, uh, sharing some additional information about con conversion optimization, uh, developing your social media strategy, doing list building, and leveraging analytics in your marketing campaigns. So also... I uh, just want to let you know that we do that Marketing Sherpa's Social Marketing Roadmap Handbook is available. Uh, it, it is a pre-launch special. It's $100 off with a free bonus gift. I encourage you to go to marketingsherpa.com uh, to, uh, to see that. It's uh, the very first ever Social Marketing Roadmap published by Marketing Sherpa. Thank you, everyone. Thanks to our panelists, Corey, Bob, and John. It's been a pleasure having you on the web clinic. Uh, thanks to our audience for being attentive. Uh, there's certainly more information that you can get at marketingexperiments.com slash training. If you're interested in some of the certifications we uh, offer in uh, email marketing, in uh, landing page optimization, and in the fundamentals of online testing, where you'll learn a lot more about the testing utility heuristic. Uh, also, please visit at marketingexperiments.com slash partners. Every single one of our case studies that we show you is a real-world case study that, we're, that we are doing for real companies who we are engaged with conducting research. So please visit marketingexperiments.com slash partners to get more information. Uh, thanks to everyone for attending today, uh, and have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.